Australia punches above its weight when it comes to recycling initiatives. Except there's one thing we're kind of still befuddled about, and that's textile waste. We've trained people diligently to put cardboard and paper in the blue bin and plastic bottles and tin cans in the yellow bin because we know what to do with them. And then we have textiles. And we're like, what do we do with textiles? Right now, there are two places to put your discarded textiles. In the bin or drop them at the op shop. But what if there was a third way? I'm Veronica Milsom and I'm the host of the podcast Threads. And in the making of this podcast, we met some people who are looking at the future of fashion, clothes and textile recycling. Adrian Jones is one of them. He's a guy who used to work in fashion and saw firsthand the waste it created. Now, he's the founder of a company that aims to fight textile waste. So this is a special bonus episode with his full interview. Here, producers Katie Sori and Frank Lopez go on a factory tour. They've signed a non-disclosure agreement to not reveal the technology or processes they see, but there's still a few trade secrets to hear. Have a listen. So we're at the back of an industrial estate in Logan Home. It looks really ordinary, but what we're going to see is a world first, apparently. Have a seat. Tell us a little bit about your journey. How did you, so you were in fashion. Uh, yeah, my career before this was always, I was going to go into, into banking. And then uh, so I think I turned up for the wrong interview and ended up working for, for Marks and Spencers in the UK. I just really enjoyed retailing and really enjoyed fashion. Um, and then I went into buying and I progressed through buying and through product development. And then I sort of just sort of, my careers, I sort of ended up, you know, ended up like just going up the sort of the corporate pole, um, became a general manager and then became a CEO and, and then got to about my early 50s and realised I really was disappointed in being a CEO. I was really desperately un- unhappy. So, um, you know, you, you, you suddenly question your own values and your own journey and what you've done and what you've achieved and are you still on a trajectory that makes you happy? And I realised that I wasn't. And then I had the pleasure of meeting Graham Ross, my business partner, and we were t- both sort of <laughs> angry old men, um, sort of you know, railing against the waste in the fashion industry and the, um, the amount of textiles going into landfill. And so we thought, well, we can either do something about it, which we felt was the best way, because so many people, we feel that the circular economy sometimes ends up being that. It's a very circular conversation as opposed to being a very action-orientated group of people. People seem to get more excited about another report than they do about actual factories being built. So anyway, so we went, we, everyone can do their own thing. We went off on this journey. We, um, we decided to form Blocktex. First two and a half years of that were essentially R&D, just working out how we can do what, what, what we do. In the end, we got to a point where we'd actually um, sort of unlocked the chemistry, where we could actually uh, separate polyester from cotton and cotton from, from polyester, and then uh, make something that was useful. Like uh, you know, we can make polyester pellets and we can make uh, cellulosic powder. And um, so it's been a four and a half year journey. But this factory here will scale, start at four thousand tons, will scale to ten thousand tons, and uh, yeah, it's the first of many. We hope. Definitely want to hear more about the process and how that all works. But just to go back to your, like, kind of previous life. So you were selling us a lot of stuff. Like, you kind of come from this world of, like, selling, and now you've gone the other oh, yeah, way. yeah, for sure. This is an act of atonement. <laughs> I'm, I'm very clear of that. I mean, that over the years I've worked for some, particularly in the UK, some very large retailers. 
and we were buying, yeah, you know, millions, if not billions of dollars of merchandise. Um, and I'm sure a lot of that has ended up in landfill. Coming from that industry, understanding textiles, because it's not just a fashion thing, it's a textile thing. Um, I think it, it, it makes, it's a, real, it's a real advantage because you kind of really know, not to make too fine a point, you kind of know where all the bodies are buried. And the industry is particularly good at greenwashing and the industry is particularly good at saying it's doing X and people go, oh, that's fantastic. But then in your heart, you kind of know it's Y and they're not. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm sort of, I've been around that industry for a long time. So I can sort of call the BS when I see it because I, I was probably part of it. So right now, if I've got a pair of jeans and I'm like, oh, these are seen better days, I need to get rid of them. What happens to them if I'm trying to get them recycled? What's... But I think there's sometimes, I think that part of that education is really important for people when they think, if I put my clothes in a recycle bin, then magically recycled clothes are going to happen. Well, that ain't so. There's many, many, many steps between you, you making the conscious and positive decision to recycle textiles and then thinking that's going to produce textiles. That's not going to happen unless there's many, many steps. And it probably won't ever happen onshore in Australia in a complete sense. If when you have a, a plastic drink bottle, you know to put that plastic drink bottle into the yellow top bin and it will get collected up and it'll either get chopped up and shredded and either recycled into more bottles or recycled into fibre. But you kind of know exactly what's going to happen to it. And we're like, what do we do with textiles? So I think what happens at the moment is that people give their clothing into the charitable sector or they put it into the bin themselves or they, or they use it for rags at home until it's covered in something else and then they throw it into the bin anyway. So then, what, then, then people sort of lose sight of it. They, don't, they think that's, again, they've, their, their conscience is clear. They've given it to somebody else, so somebody else now has to deal with the problem. Now, I think the op shops do a fantastic job in terms of selling um, for their primary purpose, but they sell that which is saleable. So they sell good quality, and we would always, always, always advocate that reuse is the best form of recycling, always. But when donations occur that are too tatty, too worn, too stained, or just too volumetric. You can, you can only sell so many things in, in an op shop, and particularly as inflation picks up and people go, you know, I think there was figures that came out from, from the set that, that they only sell something between 15 and 20% of what they get donated is actually sold in the op shops. Um, and, then, and then people have just then lost complete sight of it, because do, does that product then go, is it then exported overseas, um, which is a revenue stream, but is it a good revenue stream? Discuss. It ends up in landfill. But at the moment, I understand why those behaviours exist because there hasn't been an onshore volumetric recycling solution for old tatty clothes that can't be resold. So, like, as of right now, people's option are to the op shop or in landfill, but soon you'll be able to recycle clothes at scale in Australia. Look, the answer, the short answer is yes. The slightly longer answer is that we would want to partner with uh, the charities, with government, because there's a bit missing in the middle called sortation, which is why primarily at the moment we work in a textiles industry. So we, most of our clients and customers at the moment are in the B2B space. So we work with large laundries, um, 
large uniform suppliers that actually have um, an incredible volume, large volume, but of really fairly homogeneous material. So if you go to the back of a laundry, you will essentially pick up towels and sheets. If you go to the back of a uniform supplier, you will essentially pick up uh, workwear gear, which is usually made of polyester and cotton. And because they've made them, they've got the technical specification sheet so they can tell us what it's made of. So we kind of know what's in the bag before we open the bag. When you go to an op shop and collect from the back of them, people just give everything. So it could be nylon, it could be polyamide, it could contain lots and lots of lycra, it could be wool, it could be footwear, it could be leather. You just don't know what's in the bag. So that bag needs sorting out. And at the moment, that sortation tends to be by what is the garment? So is it a coat? Is it a pant? Is it a shirt? Therefore, that, that defines its end use, as opposed to saying, what's the garment made of? Because that will, in the future, define its end use. So, I mean, all I'm hearing you say is that actually this could do a good in a lot of ways. It could be more jobs. It could be a, another industry for this country to employ people to do something, right? To train people to be sorters, to get you what you need in the way you need it. I think that's really, really valid point. So yeah, so I think it actually is about creating an industry that has huge economic as well as environmental outcomes. But yeah, I think the amount of textiles waste in Australia and globally is just huge and not getting any, any better. But I think the sortation issue does need to be solved because People love to give you their problems. And so if they don't know what to do with textiles, but you say, put the textiles in this bin, then they oh, great, the problem solved. So they put them all in, in, in the bin, and then you've still got to work out how to sort them and where do they go. We did some, we did some recent linen collections with um, councils in Sydney and councils in Queensland. And we were uh, surprised by the amount of linen that we actually picked up because people were saying, I didn't know what to do with my bedsheets. I didn't know what to do with my doona covers. And we sort of worked out that if the average amount we achieve, we, we received per car represented the average amount we could receive per household in Australia, not per person, per household, there's probably between 70 and 80,000 tonnes of linen, just linen, that's sheets, doonas, towels, in people's cupboards, attics, under the beds, whatever. That figure just blew me away because it's like, Wow, and that's easy to get hold of, because we. So we're, our, our plan is now is to go back to as many councils as we can and say, let's have a rolling campaign of linen collections. Because even if we only get ten percent of that every year for the next ten years, we're still getting, you know, we're still getting thousands of tons of linen per year that may end up in landfill, or it may end up having no value at all because it sits in a person's cupboard, when it can be generating jobs and value for the local economy. I mean, can you talk to me about like how you actually break it down? How do you go about actually doing it in a way that is environmentally sound? Yeah, um, good question. I'm not going to go through the detail of our, of our methods because it's our IP and we do protect that. Probably about 75 to 80% of the world's textiles are polyester and cotton or a blend thereof. We, we, we use a chemical methodology combined with heat and pressure in a controlled reaction vessel. So we, we, we actually separate the polyester and the cotton chemically, and the, the cotton is reduced and becomes cellulose. And the polyester goes off down another route, and then 
we repelletize that and produce little, little pellets. You know, it's exactly the same chemical as a, as, a, as, a, as a Coca-Cola bottle or a Fanta bottle or a Lilt bottle. It's a soft drink bottle. It's exactly the same chemical, but it's got a, a different molecular weight, so it behaves differently, but it's polyester. So we put it, we sell that, that on into things like injection molding industry, where it can be used for things, anything like shopping baskets or desktops or children's seats for playgroups. But the thing is, it stops virgin materials being used. Did you just tell me that my poly cotton blend is cotton and oil? I'm wearing an, an oil shirt? Uh, yeah, look, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a brutal truth, but it's true. Um, polyester, the building blocks of polyester, um, it's a polymer. And yeah, it comes from oil. So are like brands currently, are they doing enough or is it greenwashing? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I want to avoid any legal action here. My, my gut feel is that there is a genuine intent to try and do the right thing, but sometimes brands can potentially overplay their hand in terms of what they're doing and overmarket something when it's not indicative of the rest of their supply chain. So do I think there's greenwashing in our industry? Absolutely. Do I think that there are real contradictions in what people say they're doing and what they're actually doing? Absolutely. Do I think that people think if something says it contains recycled polyester, that's a good thing? Well, yes, of course it's a good thing, but all that recycled polyester has come from bottles. Not one scrap of it has come from polyester garments because until companies like Blockchain, sorry, Blocktex came along, it didn't exist. So what happens when all the bottle guys, when the Danones and the Coca-Colas and the PepsiCos, as they're doing now, even in Australia, England, when they want to keep all their bottles and recycle all their bottles, where do these claims by brands saying we'll be 100% recycled polyester by 2025, by 2030, there'll be no... Where does that polyester, where does that recycled polyester come from? There isn't enough capacity in the world in fibre recycling to produce the amount required that the brands are saying they will have got by, that they will, that they will be using by 2030. It just, there was a report by BCG last year saying there just doesn't exist. If the bottle guys take the bottles out, there's not enough fibre recycling to produce or to, or to satisfy the claims that brands are making. Okay, if recycle though is the last on the hierarchy, it's, and the re- first is the reduce. Uh, can we say that we are going to need to, s- at the very least, start to turn down the tap? Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, look, we would absolutely advocate for reduced consumption. Um, I think we did some sort of, you know, sort of whiteboard maths and looking at the fact that if every person in Australia bought two less T-shirts a year, there'd be five million tonnes not going into landfill. I mean, I think every wardrobe could stand two less T-shirts. We don't value clothes anymore. But the size of the issue, I think BCG reports that there'll be 140 million tonnes of textile waste by 2030. And the scale of this issue is so enormous. We have to reduce consumption. We have to reuse what we've got. You know, I think we have, we have too many brands in the world producing too much stuff. And is it fair for us to put onus on the average person when industry and government are the people that are supposed to be making sure this isn't a problem in the first place? I think individuals make their own choices, and we're fortunate to live in a free society where you can exercise those choices. Uh, Will we recycle more? Well, definitely, because I think we'll we'll choose to do that because it's the right thing, but I also think governments around the world, and we're seeing this increasingly in Northern Europe, governments will legislate to to force a change in behaviour. Textiles at the end of their life 
are pollution. There's no other word for it. You know, we legislate for other forms of that damage. It's an externality. It causes damage that no one pays for. So we do have, government does have a role to play in managing the pollution that is unwashed, that unwashed, unused, end-of-life textiles. And I think having they've, they've learned enough lessons now that voluntary codes or industry best practice generally leads to a very, very slow adoption of anything good. You just have to decide what the good thing is and then legislate for it, and then the business models have to change to meet that legislation. So... If you want to ban the exports of clothes from Australia, don't say it's from tomorrow. Just say over the next 10 years, we will want to reduce the export of garments that don't have high value use overseas, which gives the whole industry time to move and react accordingly. If you want to reduce consumption of garments, then is there a producer, um, a product or consumer levy on the price of the garment, which is directly hypothecated back to recycling measures. Do you say, like, we, you know, if you pay a road tax, uh, your rego for your car, you kind of expect that to support roads, whether it does or not. So if you pay a tax on clothing, should that not support textile recycling? I think all these are very interesting policy uh, positions that we're going to have to move towards over the next 10, 15 years. The general idea in everything we've read about what you're doing is it's expensive, slow, and hard. Can you tell us what you think about that? I think that's an excuse. I really do. I mean, Graham and I built this business um, ourselves. We had uh, a small seed round at the start to help support our R&D. When we built this plant here, we had a. We were backed by our, one of our early in investors, and we've taken some money from government. But this whole journey to a four thousand ton facility still been less than ten million dollars. Now that's not a small number, but at an industrial at an industrial scale, it's loose change, loose change, and we had to work so hard to get that money up. Um, from government and uh, and from the investment community. And luckily, we were backed by a very forward-thinking, high-net-worth individual who didn't, didn't he, just, he, just, he just believes in what, what we're doing. It's not expensive. Is it hard? God, yeah, we've had, we've had significant successes on the way and also some significant failures, but you learn from those, those, those failures. And we've been on this journey four and a half years and we're sitting here now in a 4,000 ton, ton plant. I don't know whether that's slow or fast. Sometimes it feels like a lifetime. But in the scheme of things, in the scheme of in, inventions and world-changing industries, it's probably fast. Um, so I would refute all of that. It's not hard because we both really enjoy it and we have purpose in our lives. Is it expensive? But in the scheme of things, no, it's not. And is it hard? Um, yeah, but if it was easy, it wouldn't be fun. I mean... <laughs> Sometimes this problem feels very overwhelming. Do you feel positive? How do you stay positive? I feel very positive about this because... Um, because it's worthy. It's worth doing. Um, you, you know, we get up every day and we face 
sometimes so many technical issues and technical problems. We're scratching our heads with our engineers going, okay, and there's no start book. There's, there's no quick guide because no one's done this before. So it's sometimes it's very, very hard. But I stay positive because I think it's worth doing. I hope one day to have the joy of grandchildren and just say, yeah, we did something. We didn't just stand idly by saying, isn't it terrible? And then carried on with our lives. We actually decided to intervene and do something. And I want, and I hope we encourage others to come into it, in, into the industry and do the same because it's noble, it's, it's, it's worthy, it, it has value. And that's gotta be a good thing. Four and a half years ago, everyone thought we were nuts, absolutely nuts to do what we were doing. They were just like, you've, what, 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 what why? You know, and, and people would, brands wouldn't talk to us. But yeah, um, companies just thought, just like, yeah, nice try, boys. Now, we've got more supply than we can fit in. That's only in four years. So, yeah, I think that's fairly quick. I think people's behaviours is because, yeah, people have, they've, got, they've gone from the art of the possible to the art of the practical. They can see it now. It's real. It happens. Um, we should probably go yes. check out the factory. Yep. <laughs> Let's go and have a look around. So... Um, so just, I'm just going to visually kind of just explain it. So you walk into this giant warehouse, there's these huge plastic boxes to your left and like big plastic bags which are full of material and there's a conveyor belt to our left and then in the centre will be the reactor. The reactor. That's, the, that's the heart of what we do, that's where the chemical separation occurs. And then it goes through this almost like a wood chipper kind of device. <laughs> this actually, we actually, we actually got this idea from the potato, the potato chip industry, um, we've taken a lot of we've taken a lot of um, ideas, particularly around the fluid motion, and the motion of, and the movement of fluids. In fact, from the um, from the brewing industry, um, beer and chips. That's where you got it from. It. That's kind of grandma mine's life. Beer and chips. That's that's about it. Yeah. Uh, this gets pumped. This is a, another piece of machinery. This came from the wine press. It's a, we're inspired for this by the concept of a, of a wine press. These would have been hospital bed sheets and we shred them all up. So this contains cotton and polyester, but then the, the cotton part of this will become that cellulose, and that will become part of hydro mulch or land or, or fertilizer. Ah, so, this, so it goes to, when you say hydro mulching industry, what's that? Extensions. So if you think of land rec reclamation, when you go down the side of the highway or you see a large airport or a mine being repaired after it's being built and they spray that, they're spraying that green chemical on the ground to encourage the, the soil to grow, cellulose is part of that and we sell that into that land reclamation, which we think is quite cool, the fact that you've taken something that would have been a problem if you just buried it in the ground and then convert it into a product that could actually be used for proper land reclamation. Now back to my foodie stuff. If you can imagine a large pasta machine, that strand of pasta is what polymer looks like when you melt it. And then you chop it into little bits so you get small pasta. And that small pasta is essentially that. That is a giant pasta machine. So then what does the polyester become? What can, what can you make it into? You can remelt it and melt it, you make it into shopping baskets, uh, deck chairs, tabletops. You, so there's a variety of uses, all of which currently use virgin, or they use recycled polyester from, from um, bottles. So when can I send you my clothes? What we would always encourage at this point in time, if people have their clothes, we would encourage those clothes to be still be donated via your favourite op shop. 
because in the background we've got a lot to do around as we discussed around sortation. So do you think there there will be a day when when there is enough connection between the different steps across the way where that could be a part of your business? No, I don't actually. I think we'll always. I think I think you start to get confusing then. We've got more than enough textiles out of industry. This plant and other plants could run purely on what from hospitals, hotels, the catering sector. We, we do workwear uniforms, we do banking uniforms, we do school uniforms, but we know what they are. And so, because they've been pre-sorted by our, by our B2B clients. It's also, it's not what we're good at. You know, we, you know, businesses fail because they try to do too many things. We know what we're really, really good at and we stick to that. But it doesn't mean we can't have positive and engaging conversations, dialogue and, in, and interaction with other people who are really good at sorting. Sorting for me is the key thing we have to fix. Because if we can sort out sorting, we've already got a good collection network. We've got thousands of op shops. People are used to taking their clothes to the op shops. And that's great because there's a big network around the country that employs people, that is, has purpose, has meat. Fantastic. If we can fix sorting, now there's an onshore solution for volume processing of blended fibres. So why wouldn't we do that? So for now, our clothes still go in the bin or to op shops. But will it change in the next decade? It requires huge innovation, investment and, well, courage. That was Adrian Jones, a founder at Blocktex, on how they're solving a part of Australia's textile waste problems. The full series of Threads is available right now. It's a series that unpicks our addiction to fast fashion, from the way companies use psychology to convince us to buy, to the lies we're told. It's all the things the fashion industry doesn't want you to know. Join me, Veronica Milsom, for Threads. You can find it all on the ABC Listen app.